Welcome to episode 52 and the third and final part of our conversation with O'Brien McMahon. O'Brien is Senior Vice President with Lockton. He helps HR and business leaders build better employee benefits, compensation and retirement programs. And he also hosts the People Business with O'Brien McMahon podcast. Be sure to check that out. I'm Doug Folks, and I'm with Wonder CEO Claire Haydar. Claire, what are we discussing with O'Brien this time? Doug, in this segment specifically, as a continuation, you know, of the overall three-part segment that we're doing with him, where we moved from the Great Resignation and a very employee-favorable workplace into mindsets that are really critical both by employees and employers to navigate this new reality of churn and shorter tenures etc and in this episode we're specifically looking at at a higher level the gig economy as well as full-time employment are both still relevant how are the two going to interplay with each other where's the one more appropriate than others you know are they suited to certain stages of life? And what are the implications of the changes that are happening in both of those areas for the other? You know, so there's very interesting legislation coming out around the gig economy. How does that impact full-time employment? Full-time employment is having to really change because of, you know, how mobile people are becoming and how talent is being sourced now. What are the implications in that legislative changes, you know, on the gig economy? in Converse. So some really interesting things coming out in this conversation. Yeah, it was a very fitting conclusion to our our hour spent with with O'Brien. Let's hear what he's got to say. Looking forward to it. O'Brien, looking at the work structure in the future, would you say that the concept of full-time employment is becoming outdated? I mean, is it going to be that simple? I I don't think so. I I think to some of the other comments that we've made around the gig economy, I think the gig economy is great because it allows some people who couldn't otherwise to step into their own and start their own small business, even if it's just them, and you know, kind of own their careers in a way they couldn't before. It also gives people the opportunity to step out for a longer period of time and really find the the right next step instead of just the available next step. But People live long lives and work long careers. And I think people want some element of stability in that. And I think people want the ability to master their craft and and to learn things. And and I think you do that through full-time employment. Maybe full-time employment looks a little different. I don't know that we're ever going to get to four days a week, but I don't know, maybe something happens and that's where we go. Or maybe full-time employment looks virtual or hybrid, but I still think there's a very valuable place for full-time employment. Do you think maybe it's almost a case of sort of FOMO where people see the the great resignation, they want to jump on and explore that a little bit, you know, jump around a little bit, maybe get the advantage of that extra income while everyone's scrabbling to to get people employed? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's that for sure, right? I mean, I I think about my own career and when I was in my early 20s, I think I had five W-2s by the time I was 25. Like I just, I had a vision for where I want, what I wanted and sort of the lifestyle and career I wanted to create. And I was trying a bunch of things to figure it out and sort of find the right landing spot. And I got to my, my current employer, Lockton, 
And I've been there 12 years now because it provides all of the opportunity and continued growth that I was looking for. And it gives me an opportunity to continue to level up every day, which is something that's important to me. I think, you know, we're going to see that again now. I think people are maybe rethinking some of their values. They feel like they need something new. And maybe we're going to see this flurry of people hopping around. But I, I think people ultimately settle. I think we like routine to some degree. We, we like habits. And I think you're, I think it's going to settle down at some point. Maybe not all the way down to nothing. Maybe it, Maybe it'll still be a little bit higher than it was before, but I don't see full-time employment going away. I fully agree with you, Ryan, because one of the things that I actually have correlated in my brain around this topic specifically, and you actually alluded to it earlier when you mentioned the whole sleep thing. You know what I mean? You would think that sleep would be innate to a human. No, it's not. You don't train a baby to sleep. They're not going to sleep, but it's going to take very many years for them to figure it out on their own. Very similarly to that, if you look at a lot of the just natural cycles that happen in the human body, so for example, our taste buds change every seven years, a lot of those natural rhythms that happen in the body happen in seven-year cycles. And mm. so, and I mean, there's multiple examples of that. Um, throughout the human body. And I think if you go and look at a lot of the research that has been done around career tenure, specifically in full-time roles, a very similar pattern of time emerges is that you can almost like view a person's career in chunks of seven years. Okay. And even if like, yeah. you as an individual listening to this conversation that we're having right now goes and thinks back, you yourself said it, like by the time you were 25, you had about five W2s. If you think about it, that's your first chunk of a seven-year period because it goes from 18, which is that start of your college, to that first initial breakthrough period in your career. It's that chunk yeah. of seven years, you know? And so you tend to find that people who are maturing up in their career there's also a little bit of magic in that seven-year number, you know, where you can really, there's enough time to get in, lay a foundation for something that you want to achieve, which furthers your career, but at the same time is a very real thing that the company that you're working for wants to push forward. And then you kind of face this, this path in your career where you're like, okay, am I going to double down again and invest yep. further into this area? Or is it time for me to now go and lay the next foundation for the next thing that I need to build? Absolutely. And funny, it's funny that you say that because recently I have kind of been going through my own questioning with my career. There was an opportunity, there was an internal opportunity that came up that was interesting to me. And I really walked through it and said, is this something that I want or do I want to keep what I'm doing? And I landed in the firmly in the camp that I want to keep doing what I'm doing. There's, there's more to do. There's more to achieve. But in my head, I had said, you know, this feels good for about the next seven years. And then I'm going to reevaluate. Interesting. Yeah. And it, Interesting. it was, yeah, you see, and you that see, just, kind of like, yeah, I can see out seven years. Like, yes, this is, this is a good next step. And then at that point, it starts to get fuzzy again. And maybe I double down again and, you know, continue it on after that. Or maybe I don't. But it's funny that that's what happened in my head. Future work structure, do the benefits that are going to be needed, do they have to drastically change to keep up with this new generation of employee that we've spoken about? Or are they just going to fall back into what we give them? <laughs> so I do benefits consulting. So I just want to make sure that we're talking the same language here. When you say benefits, 
what what are you what are you thinking of? So I'm going to weigh in here on that one because this question is in here specifically because you do benefits consulting. Okay, okay. Right? Yes. So we're okay. thinking of the same thing. It's literally, it's everything starting with health healthcare and, you know, pension contribution all the way down to what we would call the warm and fuzzy benefits, you know, that, that come in a workplace. It's, it's that full spectrum of things. Sure. So I, a couple different ways to answer this. Do I think benefits need to change? Yes, but I think healthcare needs to change. So there's this larger problem that the healthcare system in the United States specifically needs to change. I mean, it there's so much waste, there's so much bloat. It's so hard to even understand what the costs are and how it all works. I mean, I I do this for a living. I, I do healthcare consulting for a living. And I'll go to the doctor and ask for the cost of a simple visit or procedure. And I, I can't figure it out. The doctor's office can't tell you what it costs. So there are some like fundamental changes that need to happen in the healthcare system. I think that's a whole different conversation with a lot of political implications. But I think as far as what an employer is offering to an employee, the way that I think about it in my head is like go to the basics. And then if you have more resources build onto the basics. But the basics are, are you paying people enough to fulfill the dreams that they have for their life? That's a, that's just the key one. Like, are you paying your people enough? Can you pay them more? Yes, maybe the market is X amount of dollars, but do you have the ability to be an employer of choice and provide more to your people so that they can go on and, and live happier lives themselves? The next is healthcare, right? Which is, which is basically medical coverage. Are you providing medical coverage that makes them feel like they're protected and their family's protected? Cause that's what they want, right? They want to feel protected. And then from a retirement standpoint, are you putting them in a position through comp, through retirement plans, deferred comp, you know, whatever incentives you have to move on and age gracefully so that they're going to be protected at the end of their lives. That's really what people want. Yes. It's great to have the other lines of benefits. Yes, it's great to have perks, but put the money into the core elements. And then if you have more, then build that out. I just, I, I see people taking one pot of money and spreading it too thin. And then they wonder why their people don't value the benefits that they have. So you said something, O'Brien, you said, it's what we all want. This has interestingly happened in our organization, but we've also had a lot of our customers share the same experience. So I know this is not an insular incident where Gen Zs and millennials are coming in and saying the typical pension healthcare framework just doesn't work for me. Just give me the cash. I just want yep. the cash and I'll deal with it the way I want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And just... Anecdotally, some things that I've heard in our social circles recently is because people like concierge medicine like really became, it's it's always been a thing, like concierge medicine has been a thing, but it became a real thing that was very attainable by the average person on the street during COVID, just because mm -hmm. of COVID and, and the way doctors yeah. had to reach people. And people are kind of going, huh, I like this. I like the concept of concierge medicine, which is currently not catered for by healthcare at all. So do you really think that 
benefits as you've just laid them out is really what people are wanting or is there a shift in mindset there? So I think all people want compensation to go yes. live the life that they want. I think that's universal. Yes, like that's Nobody universal. would turn down more money. Healthcare is an interesting one. So what you said is, you know, Gen Zs are coming in now and they're saying, just give me the cash. That was the same thing that was being said about millennials when millennials started coming into the workforce was that they don't value these benefits in the same way. Well, now millennials are starting families and they're valuing benefits. All of a, a sudden, more. you know, all of a sudden these things become important. You know, maybe, yeah. maybe we're all getting a little older. I'm on the leading edge of the millennials. I'm almost 40. You know, like it's important to me now. You know, I'm thinking about it a lot. And so I think it's an age thing more than it's like a generational thing. I think there, I think you go through stages in life to your point about seven year increments, you go through stages in your life and yeah, you may come in and you're like, oh, this healthcare stuff. I don't need this healthcare stuff. I'm bulletproof. Well, you get pregnant, your wife gets pregnant. Uh, one of you in your thirties has a health condition, you know, suddenly this becomes important stuff and values start to change, you know, seven years down the road. So I, I do think it's still important again to the employer, what we said at the very beginning about the employer teaching employees, the skills they need. This is important stuff. It's just like somebody coming in and being like, you know, I don't value my retirement account. I don't need to retire. Yeah. Okay. You don't appreciate that now, but if you don't save something, you're going to be in a world of hurt later. So we need to, we need to teach you these skills. Yeah. How to adult at 30, how to adult at 40, how <laughs> yes, to adult yeah, exactly. at 50. <laughs> exactly. So are you going to get as much bang for your buck if, you know, if your employees are all in their 20s and you have high turnover, so you know they're not going to make it to their 30s with you? Yeah. Okay. Maybe you don't, maybe the plan, maybe they have to contribute more to the plan and, you know, it's not as rich a benefit and you just pay them a lot more money. But those 20-something-year-olds are going to become 30-something-year-olds pretty quick and start families and they're going to have those needs. So it's all it's planning for what you have today and then educating them and helping them make good decisions for the future, even if they don't know that it's coming. So I think it's a blend. To your point, you know, there's always some gray area here. Nothing that I say should be taken as gospel, but I do think it's worth providing the core elements that people are going to need through their lives. I think that was one of the happiest moments in our company was when we were actually able to, as a startup, I think it was like, you know, two years in, once we had raised that first big round where we were able to do it, like I literally went out and celebrated. I was like, I felt like a more accomplished employer. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah, that's a great day. So, O'Brien, we're coming up to the end of our conversation together. And my final question for you is coming back to future work structure and this shift that we're seeing between full-time employment and the gig economy. How will the new legislation that's currently happening around the gig economy, you know, from your lens, things that are happening in the benefits world, how is the new landscape, the future work structure shaping out because of what's happening on the gig economy side? You know, I'm going to be honest and say that I'm not as up to date on the legislative side of this. And so I, it would be purely speculation and probably not very helpful to anybody to answer that question. Uh, so I, I will respectfully pass that to somebody who knows more than I do. No problem. So I'll tell you why I'm asking for 
your anecdotal evidence, Doug and I had an amazing conversation. I actually can't wait to share this conversation with you when we release it as a podcast with a partner in a law firm that specializes in employment law um, last week. And her name is Lucy Lewis, and she had some incredible insights around this this topic, you know, and specifically how, for example, just the concept of the right to work is having to change because of this new Mm -hmm. world that we're working in, you know. And so I was just wondering if through your lens, because of the benefits work that you do, are you guys starting to think into that area? Are you starting to think, you know, if the concept of the right to work and the place to work is shifting and changing because of what we've just been through over the last two years, does that change benefits? You know, if I go from the US and decide I'm going to go work in the Caribbean, what happens to my benefits? From that standpoint, I mean, employers are having to get much more agile when it comes to how they administer you know, the people side of their business and the benefit side of their business, because the Caribbean example is a good one, but let's just say somebody is headquartered in Chicago, Illinois, where I'm sitting right now. Well, over the last 18 months, suddenly they've been all virtual and now they've got employees in Montana and Texas and California, and maybe somebody moved to Hawaii there are all kinds of different state laws and legislations that they now have to comply with. And so just the, the complexity of what they have to deal with now, i what I see anecdotally is employers are running out and finding good partners to manage all of this stuff because they can't keep up with it. If you're not keeping up with it, I wouldn't feel bad about it. I would just find a good partner to help you with it because it's, it's becoming unmanageable, especially as States enact their own disability laws more and more. We're seeing that become a big challenge. You know, and then similarly, if if now you're going to leave the country, well, now you're dealing with an entire different healthcare system with different insurance laws. And so, you know, now you need even more help to go out and understand where those are. And in most countries, you can't bring your insurance policy from another country. You know, their insurance laws are very specific country to country that they have to operate that way in that country, be bought locally. So unfortunately, that flexibility in the system does not exist today. Going back to the gig economy, though, you know, we are seeing some employers maybe who have delivery, they're, they're doing their own delivery services and they're all 1099 employees. They want to offer those people healthcare, but it can be tricky because some of the legislation prohibits offering that group plan. So I think there's, there is some work that's going to need to be done on the legislative side to change what it means to be a group health plan. I know there's lobbying efforts for that, but we haven't seen anything meaningful come out yet. We've started to see some association health plans come out. Some states haven't really liked those, so they've made it really hard to put those together. There's no great answer to that question about what can an employer do, but find a good partner who can really help you evaluate all the options is my advice. O'Brien, thank you so much for talking to us today and spending this time with us. Thank Um, you for having me on. It's, uh, It's always fun to to chat and especially to hear kind of where your head's coming from on these issues too. And that is the end of episode 52 and our chat about the employee landscape with O'Brien McMahon. If you found this podcast of value, please share it with friends and colleagues. Catch us on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts or on Wonders website, wndyr.com. And from Claire and myself, 
Bye for now.